0: Thank you, Pastor Jessica. Can we give her a hand really quickly? She, uh, she does a great job. Uh, and then one more person who has done a really great job today that I want to recognize. They're probably going to be annoyed, but everyone, can we look at Mike in the very back back there? Yep, yep, Mike. And my friend Don right here. Don, can you raise your hand? Uh, they both handled that ice rink out there for us. Uh, they threw a lot, 240 40-pound buckets worth of deicer onto the parking lot by hand so that, Lord willing, you did not die on your way in, okay? So I just wanted to recognize them. I am super thankful for them, and I'm sure you are too because you are safely sitting here uh, worshiping God with us. Okay, can you stand with me as we read God's Word, please? We are going to be in Mark. We're going to take a quick break from the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to read from the Gospel of Mark today. Uh, Chapter 1, starting in verse 16, it says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Okay, so I, I absolutely love the beginning of January. Which may sound, as I understand, it may sound a little weird, but hear me out. Like most of you, I spent the last six weeks of 2023 celebrating many things, right? Thanksgiving, Advent, Christmas parties, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. My wife had her 40th birthday. Uh, Yes, a New Year's Eve and New Year's Day celebration. I mean, all of it, more than that, as you can probably relate to. And during that span... There was a lot to celebrate. It's a very fun time, but it's also a very busy time of year, is it not? It brings a lot of interruptions to my flow, if you will. Okay, And I'm a flow guy. I like rhythms. I like patterns. I like to keep things going in a similar rhythm. So January, thank goodness for January. January is the exact opposite. No one wants to have fun in January. And I know this because my birthday is on January 3rd and no one wants to celebrate my birthday with me. That's not true. Many of uh, many of you did. And I thank you for your wishes and your texts and all of that. But as a kid, especially my birthday was often like the first day back to school. No one wants to have fun on the first day back to school from Christmas break january is all about getting our life back on schedule right we have these fitness goals maybe nutrition and exercise i don't know if you watched any of the broadcasts from the new year's eve um, celebrations in new york city but planet fitness was the main sponsor and i thought that's hilarious that's very good advertising they were really smart Personal goals, like we have productivity in mind. We want to personally be better. Maybe we want to learn something new or go back to school. We have spiritual goals, right? Quiet time, scripture, prayer, gathering with the church. Great job being here today, by the way. We have work goals, promotions, a new project, maybe a new career altogether. The point is that each of us have a vision for what the next year of our life looks like in its ideal state, and then we aim our minds and our schedules to meet that ideal vision. That's what January is about. And regardless of where we are headed or which of these categories really highlights your own personal desires, we all have one thing in common. We need help getting there, don't we? We need a guide to help us get to where we think we should be by the end of 2024. All of these goals are lofty they're not easily achieved that's actually a good thing right good things important things are rarely easy to achieve and if you could do them by yourself you probably would have already done them right but instead once we decide to commit ourselves to these important endeavors we then look for guidance to help us achieve our desired success. So for example, maybe a new gym or fitness coach, a new exercise program at home, nutrition plans. These are all versions of guides that help us get to that goal. How about a new app or a tool to increase productivity or taking apps off of our phone to increase productivity? Right, another way of guiding ourselves How about a new reading plan in the Bible or a new fasting practice that's coming in two weeks? These are guides that help us get to our ideal. So whatever your goal is, there is a guide. There's a person or a tool or a technology or a routine that is designed to lead you toward that goal. And that method of learning, that method of growth is called discipleship. Okay, if you didn't know that already, that's what discipleship is. You are following the wisdom, the guidance, the expertise of someone or something that should eventually lead you towards your intended goal. That's what discipleship is. And January is the one month where everyone even if you don't call them goals or resolutions, whatever you call them, whatever the buzzword is, everyone looks at the beginning of the year as a new opportunity to cultivate inspiration. Do we not? We look at this time of the year to cultivate new inspiration for this new year. And that inspiration, it spurs us on to grow, to flourish, to move into these meaningful categories in our life. And that's why I love early January. Because generally speaking, we are inspired people, okay? So over the last 39 years of my life, I have learned a very important principle. I know some of you are like, 39, what? Barely anything. And some of you are like, that's really old. Yeah, (laughs) there is a spectrum, I understand. But there's this principle that I've learned, there's something that I've learned that um, is important for every person in my opinion. Uh, Actually, everyone in the entire world can benefit, but guess what, I'm only gonna share it with those of you who are here today, because you're special to me, okay? Here's the principle. The key to success in meaningful growth is to convert your inspiration into action. Again, the key to success in meaningful growth is to convert your inspiration into action. But not just any action. Action that is useful in moving you towards that desired goal. So how do we know if our actions are moving us towards those intended goals. Well, this is where a guide becomes critically important, right? The right guide is the guide that knows how to create actionable steps, whether they're habits or routines or practices that will produce the measurable fruit in your life that can show you, Hey, I'm moving in the right direction. That's my intended target and I can see fruit that's helping me get there. Well, this is especially important, in my opinion, in matters of faith because each of us in this room have decided to one degree or another that faith can and or will play a significant role in our lives. If you didn't think that, you wouldn't be here. You'd be giving your time to something else. But faith is also not a solo journey. Rather, you need a guide and not just any guide you need Jesus, right? Everybody here knows that. We need Jesus. So over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, or maybe you've heard this term, a more modern term for the idea of discipleship is to apprentice, right? Lots of, lots of uh, professions have apprentices or apprenticeships. It's a similar idea that we're going to study under Jesus. Discipleship, apprenticeship, whatever you wanna call it, are methods of learning where the student and the teacher spend lots of time together so that the student can be more like the teacher. And we know, we know that, that Jesus had disciples, but what did discipleship look like during the time of Jesus? And if you'll allow me for just a moment, I'm gonna kinda nerd out on you on what ancient first century discipleship looked like, okay? So this is discipleship during the time of Jesus, every Israelite had a rabbi, which was just another term for teacher, and that person would show them how to practice their faith. So they would start at what I'm calling level one. They didn't call it that, they were much more advanced, but for our sake, here's where it's at. And this was basically for every child. They would learn to read, write, and practice math through scripture, okay? And so that meant by the age of 12, they would have the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. By the age of 12, memorized. Anybody wanna try that with me this year? (laughs) Just kidding. This level of discipleship was for everyone because it was how they learned how to interact with society and faith. And then for some, They would go on to what would be called kind of level two and that was for the people who were exceptional in level one and they would actually memorize the entire Old Testament by the age of 14. By the age of 14, the entire Old Testament memorized. And then they would begin taking extended trips with their rabbi, learning how to capture the way that the the rabbi walked and talked and taught and interacted with other people. They were trying to mimic this person. And then for the best of the best of the best, the level three people, they would actually be selected to follow a high profile rabbi. Again, they didn't call him high profile, that's our language today, but a very important rabbi, they would follow him. And their goal would be to learn everything they could from their rabbi so that then they could go and make their own disciples in the same way. Their goal would be to take everything they could from their teacher so that they could go and make disciples of that teaching here's a famous saying from that time period they would say may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi and that was literal like as they followed their rabbi down the dusty roads of that time period the dust would kick up and it would fall on their body because they were physically following their rabbi wherever they went And then all of this was designed so that the person following them could be with their rabbi, could be like their rabbi and could do what their rabbi did. Jesus was a rabbi and his his disciples did exactly this. In fact, I'm going to read you a series of passages from Mark, starting with the one we just read at the beginning to show you what this looked like. So they're going to be on the screen. Starting with Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, it says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, a large crowd A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Mark 10, 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So we see in each one of these accounts that Jesus gives one common piece of instruction and it is follow me. The common instruction was follow me me he could have given them all kinds of wisdom through words but instead what he said was if you want to be my disciple follow me so the fishermen who would eventually become fishers of men that's not a silly phrase that actually meant someone who was going to teach people a certain way of living they started with the instruction follow me the tax collector who was a social oppressor is now redeemed or on the journey to redemption rather and it started with the instruction from jesus follow me the crowd seeking the wisdom of jesus they wanted to hang on every word he said because he was such a popular teacher and his instruction was follow me and then to the rich man who was seeking this path to eternal life who wanted to know, how do I receive eternal life? And Jesus gives him these difficult instructions to sell everything. And he says, follow me. So with all of our dreams, our aspirations, our inspirations, as we seek to love God and love people, to love our spouse as well, to raise our kids the right way, to find success at work, as we aim to live the meaningful version of our life, the best way possible, all of that starts with the invitation from Jesus, follow me, follow me. And just like it was for the disciples in the Gospel of Mark, being a disciple of Jesus means that we organize our entire lives around these three ideas. One, be with Jesus. Right? They were with their rabbi. Number two, be like Jesus. They tried to mimic him and do as he did, which is the third one, do what Jesus did. So that's what this looks like. Following Jesus means to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so we're going to break that down and look at how that looks. So, number one, be with Jesus. This is the primary and probably the most Arguably important part of apprenticing under Jesus. Historically, there was a time, as you know from Scripture, where people could physically follow Jesus. But as we know, Jesus is no longer here. You're probably like, well, okay, well, how are we going to follow Jesus then, Pastor Rick? Well, Jesus promised to leave us a helper. In fact, in John 14, verses 15 through 17, he gives us this beautiful promise. I'm going to read it to you. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So God graciously sends the Holy Spirit to help us. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to be with Jesus, right? We're not physically following him, but we are with him through the power of the spirit. In John chapter 15, Jesus uses this analogy of a vine and its branches to show us how this relationship, how this interaction happens, even though he's no longer with us physically on earth. So John 15, five through eight says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Our source of life is indeed the vine of Jesus. And if we remain connected to the vine, it says that we will bear much fruit. Okay, so what does it mean to remain in the vine according to Jesus' teaching? He says it plainly. He says, if my words remain in you. If his words, if his teachings, if his instruction, if his way of talking to other people, if that the account of that remains in us, then we will remain in him. Now, if you've been at Foundation Church for any amount of time now, this probably sounds a little bit familiar to our kind of core, central, foundational verse, Matthew 7, 24 24 through 27. I'm gonna read it to you again, because I'm gonna read it to you every chance I get, okay? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, there's a major theme happening here, a big idea, if you will. The primary way that we are with Jesus is by studying the life, character, and teachings of Jesus found in Scripture. Again, the primary way that we are with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit is to study the life, the character, the words, the teachings of Jesus that are found in Scripture. Now, we will talk about this more next week, but the regular habit of reading Scripture is essential to apprenticeship under Jesus. It's just essential. Now, if you were with us from the very beginning, uh, then you have likely been to our original building up on the South Hill. Okay, so this old building that we had, it was was beautiful. Uh, Anyway, the point is, the reason I bring it up is because outside the building, over at the end of the parking lot, there was a telephone pole, and this telephone pole had vines growing on it. Now, most of you probably didn't pay any attention to it, but the point is, is it was growing up so much that it was nearing the power line and it was our responsibility to take care of it. So myself and Kelly and actually Matt Groppner, many of you know Matt Groppner, took it upon ourselves to go out and take care of this vine. The problem is vines are resilient. (laughs) We probably poured 25 gallons of weed killer on the base of that thing and up and down it. And we cut it and it grew back and we cut it more and it grew back and it was insane. We took a torch to it to try to burn it, but the vine would not die. The branches were not dead. And so when you hear these words that Jesus is like, be like a branch that remains in this vine, I take that personally because I know how resilient it can be and I want us to be a resilient people, right? Like remaining, if you're like a branch that's tethered to a healthy vine, you will be indestructible. Okay? So practically speaking, how do we be with Jesus this week? By consistently giving our attention through regular moments of scripture and prayer to Jesus. Giving our attention to Jesus, whether it's an early morning before the kids wake. I know for me that's, when I have to get it in because as soon as the day starts, it gets wild. It just does. Many of you are in that same boat. Maybe it's when you are commuting to and from work. Maybe that's your opportunity to connect with Jesus or on a break while you're at work or in the evening after the kids are in bed. Whatever your rhythm is, make it a pattern. Make it a rhythm. That's the practical way that we remain with Jesus. However it works best for you, Just make it essential. So number one, be with Jesus. Number two, be like Jesus, right? Just like the rabbi, we want to become like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus means that we learn to adopt the way of Jesus into our life. You can call it, um, some people call it sanctification, some people call it formation, whatever word you prefer. Becoming like Jesus is one of the goals of following Jesus as a rabbi. Now, here's a helpful definition I came across in my studies that I think describes the process really well. It says spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process, it's a process, meaning it doesn't all happen at once, okay, of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Possessed, meaning dominated or being lorded by like mean it's it's saying we need to make this our primary thing to be permeated for let it become part of our dna inside of us our bones our blood our flesh it's a consistent process happening over a long period of time of learning to live as jesus lived now the truth is we're all being discipled by something we all know this right We're all being discipled by by something. And so the question is not if you are being discipled, it's what are you being discipled by? Because if it's not Jesus, it's something else. Being discipled into a particular type of person can happen from my perspective in two primary ways, and I want to share them with you, and then I want to share scripture with you that helps um, us understand this, this particular way of discipleship. So, um, two particular ways. The first one is this. It can start as a desire or a way of thinking that eventually leads to a change in behavior, but it can also, the second way is it can start with a behavior that eventually leads to a change in our hearts or a change in the way of thinking. Now, let me show you how that plays itself out in scripture. So sometimes being with Jesus will transform our way of thinking and then our actions will follow. Second Timothy Verse or chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says this. It says, All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we hear scripture, we read it, we internalize it, and then it compels us to change the way we behave. And our behavior adjusts more and more to the way of Jesus. But other times we are simply obedient to a behavior that Jesus has instructed, like fasting, right? And then the behavior allows this space for which God can then work in to change our hearts, to change the way that we think, to change the way that we desire things. Isaiah chapter 58 talks about true fasting, and I'm going to read this to you. It's a little bit lengthier piece of scripture, but it will be on the screen. But it's talking about what fasting does in the person that is fasting so it says this is not this the kind of fasting i have chosen this is god speaking to the israelites he says if is this not the kind of fasting i have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor Wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, if you If the pointing finger, I'm sorry, if you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. True fasting, according to Isaiah 58, leads a person to be like a well-watered garden whose waters never fail. I love that image. A robust, green, colorful, healthy garden where many things are growing and the fruit is sweet and the vegetables are delicious, right? Right? Your life will be like that. Instead of that other garden, you know, the one you see in your neighbor's yard, not your yard, (laughs) of course, right? The one you see in your neighbor's yard, eh, lots of weeds, not very healthy, everything's the same color for some reason. But no, when you fast, when you behave like Jesus behaved, God is able to work in your life so that you become like a well-watered garden whose waters never fail. Becoming like Jesus is transformation. It's inside and outside, and it is into the image of Jesus. So number one, we be with Jesus. Number two, we'd be like Jesus. And number three, do what Jesus did. Now, the end goal of any discipleship program or apprenticeship program was to carry on the work of the rabbi or the teacher same today like if you were going to be a plumber you would go and you would learn how to plumb from an expert plumber and then you would be able to hopefully do the same thing but this is tricky right because Jesus wasn't just a rabbi he was the son of god <laughs> right i mean you're like yeah yeah that's what we were thinking too pastor rick <laughs> jesus was a wise teacher but he was also the Messiah, and his primary work was to usher in the kingdom of God. Therefore, as disciples or apprentices of Jesus, it's not just our goal to know the Bible, but it's actually our goal to join in him, with him, the work that he began while he was here on earth. Now, Here's a categorical list, a short one. There's many more things than this of some of the things that Jesus did as he ministered to the people around him. Let me just read this to you. He preached the gospel. He taught the way. He went eating and drinking with people far from God. He was uh, he was doing justice. He was making peace. He prayed. He prophesied. And he stood up against corruption. Now, those are just some of the things that Jesus did. And you might be thinking, I'm not really sure I can do all of those things, Pastor Rick. I get it, I definitely do get it. But here, let me read this verse to you from John chapter 14 that I, at times, am still baffled with, if I'm honest, okay? But it is a promise from the words of Jesus, and this is what he says. Starting in verse 12, ending in verse 13, he says, "'Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me,' this is Jesus talking, "'whoever believes in me "'will do the works I have been doing.'" Okay, there we go, he says, You're going to do the things I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Now, that's the part that gets tricky for me. Doing greater things than what Jesus has been doing on earth. I don't understand it, but Jesus said it, okay? He says, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So yes, the list does seem at times daunting. There are things that Jesus accomplished that I thought, that I think to myself, I don't even wanna be near some of that stuff. But Jesus says, you're gonna continue what I have started. You're gonna do the things that I've been doing so that my Father, so that God will be glorified, which is the purpose of ushering in the kingdom of God. The goal of every apprenticeship program, every discipleship program is to train the student to eventually do the work of the teacher. Doing what Jesus did is the inevitable fruit of a life spent as a disciple of Jesus. But here's the thing, it must be our main thing. Oof, really? Does it gotta be our main thing? Can it be just this thing I do sometimes? No, simply no. Now, I don't mean that you go quit your job and become a pastor. In fact, I think a church of all pastors would be the worst church in the world. Okay, so (laughs) let's not do that. But instead, we follow Jesus right where we are. Teachers, doctors, lawyers, carpenters, engineers, salespeople, students, entrepreneurs, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, whatever it is your retired people do. (laughs) Regardless of what that is, following Jesus needs to be our main thing in that moment. Okay? That's what we're getting at. We're following Jesus to be with him, to be like him, and do what he did. It has to be our main thing. Okay, so imagine now that tomorrow you wake up and this sermon just, God just really worked in your heart, and you feel so inspired to run a marathon. You're like, no, that's not happening. I know, crazy, right? Let's say you wake up tomorrow, you feel inspired, you're going to run a marathon, and you set the goal for yourself. You're like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to run a marathon by the end of 2024. Okay, so you have one year to accomplish this. But you have little to no running experience. But yet this desire is burning inside of you. I've got to do this thing. Now, in order for you to accomplish this, you know that you need to train for this, right? If you're gonna run a marathon, you have to train. There's a couple marathon runners in here. I know there are, okay? You know you have to train for it, but the last thing you should do is start your training with a 26.2 mile run, right? That's the last thing you should do. You might make it one to two miles and then you probably are gonna quit. You might even die, okay? And we don't want that. We don't want that at all. So instead, a wise teacher would advise you, start tomorrow with like a one mile kind of walk, jog. Just get out there, learn your mile, learn where you're going to go tomorrow when you go a little bit faster, when you go a little bit harder. And then you're going to consistently and strategically increase your training level as your fitness allows, right? Similarly, the journey to apprenticing under Jesus, the path of discipleship to Jesus, is going to require consistent practice over a long period of time. Here at Foundation Church, we describe this process as deep work in community over a long period of time. This is a marathon. We're not going to go out there today and sprint, partially because it's slick, so don't do that. But also because this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Learning to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did is a marathon. And much like training for a major physical endeavor like a marathon, there are important elements to your success. Number one, have a plan. And when you have a plan, stick to the plan and do not overextend yourself too early, right? So if it's, if it's picking up a new habit in scripture, start with five minutes a day, right? Or five minutes every couple days, whatever that looks like. Start in the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of John. Don't start in Genesis, okay? If you want, you can, but, and if you need help, we can help but have a plan and stick to your plan and watch how you grow. Number two, have a community. Training is hard, but having others around you that are doing the same thing is always helpful. When things are going really well, they celebrate with you and things are really, really hard. They lift you up. That's what your church community is. It's your community. So you need to have a plan. You need to have a community. Number three, you need to be consistent. When it feels fruitless, when it feels mundane, keep practicing. Keep practicing and watch what God does. Because this deep work cannot happen overnight, it must happen over a long period of time. Watch what God builds inside of you. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time. For the opportunity to come and gather in 2024 full of inspiration, God. I pray that we would learn to convert that inspiration into action. But God, not just any action, that we would convert that inspiration into action that leads us to be more like you. To be with you. To do as you did. To practice your ways, to listen to your teachings, to become the the person, the type of person that you've inspired us to be. And God, thank you for bringing us here where we have this community of people around us who can help us do this deep work, this often difficult work of apprenticing underneath you. But God, in the end, it's so beautiful and so life-giving. It must be the thing that we do. So help us to help each other, help us to love each other well, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. God, I pray that blessing over our church this year as we endeavor to do this. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me for a second? Two things. One, if you would like prayer, Uh, Mike Wilhelm and Karen Sherman are gonna be over in the corner and they would love to pray with you for anything you need prayer for and let me just tell you prayer works it works I can't guarantee that you're gonna go over there and get the answer you want but it matters and it works so if you feel like you want to be prayed for please take advantage of that and also we're gonna take communion together Okay, so in just a second, I'm going to release you and your family, whoever you would like to receive it with, to go back to the table and take communion. Now here's the thing about communion. The Bible's clear, this is for the Christ follower, okay? Because otherwise it's meaningless. It's just juice and a cracker. But for the Christ follower, it's significant and it's beautiful and it's this way of recognizing the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. And so, as we take it, as we have the opportunity to do that together, we are remembering what Jesus accomplished. It's this beautiful celebration. And so, I'm going to pray for the elements, and then you can go grab the elements, return to your seat, and then we're going to sing one more song, and then I'll send you off. But don't miss this opportunity to receive those beautiful elements. So, God, we. We pray right now that as you've given us this physical, tangible reminder of your goodness and your grace, I pray that we would receive that. God, for the person who is um, maybe not quite following Jesus yet, God, I pray that they would make a decision in their heart to do that and that they can then enjoy this beautiful expression of our faithfulness and remembrance of what you've done. Help us to be full in our hearts as we do this. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and receive the elements and then come back and sing a song with us.